Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore Our Geek, episode 115. I'm Andrew. I'm the dude! And today we are going to be talking about Alien Covenant, but before we do, we've got a few news stories. We have the Dark Crystal announcement, the Star Trek Discovery trailer, Bill Maher is a raging prolapsed anus, (laughs) and there is a lawsuit not involving but surrounding Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Some of those lawsuits tend to be really frivolous. I'm actually okay. I might might be okay with this one. Well, I, I would define this one as frivolous, but I'm still fine with it. Oh, okay. These are good frivolous. I think I think that's actually the opposite of frivolous, but that's fine. Oh, whatever. Yeah, we suck at the English. That's fine. I'm actually on dictionary.com right now to look something up. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to that one until we get there. All right, so yeah. starting off the Dark Crystal right. announcement and teaser trailer, you said. Yep. So Netflix has announced that they are picking up a Dark Crystal, basically prequel series, and it looks pretty spectacular. What's great about it is that they are going back to old school puppets. Yes. And this is something so many people, I believe, our age really want to see is just practical effects that feel tangible, like they're in the space where the actors and and the crew are. Yeah. That's something I think we've been missing for so many years. And this is going to be called Dark Crystal, The Age of Resistance. And it'll be about uh, 10 episodes. It'll start filming this fall. Now, I've never been a huge Dark Crystal fan, in part having come to it as an adult. There's a few of those movies like Dark Crystal Labyrinth that I just never saw until I was an adult. However, there's a comic book series out called the, The Dark Crystal creation myths there's three graphic novels i think i've read two of them and they're really pretty cool so i'm actually pretty psyched about this and again like we talked about yeah practical effects at the end you see one of the skexies just briefly and it looks so good yeah the eyebrows were moving they had like kind of a light eye that was like or maybe a monocle or something that was on it and uh it looked like a flashlight i guess and it was moving around and I I remember a lot of the earlier Henson ones like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. And even to some extent, I really enjoyed when I think of the never ending story. Okay. And I get that, like, if you come to it late, there are some things you're just not going to get it sometimes. Like Tracy coming to Star Wars really late and just how she's perplexed by some of this kind of stuff. And I understand that. But I've always just enjoyed the mythos around it and the kind of fantastical creatures. And I, I, I really like, I want more fantastical creatures that's really what i want yeah, i mean I jim want. henson does a great job and the phrase he overused of world building but not like the george rr R. martin i'm gonna make this incredible massive universe right jim sure. henson builds a very self-contained but detailed and specific world that you get to live in for this story and it's really cool and really fun right it works for the story in that one small breath it's not like you have to go chasing all these little strands and tendrils the way you would with like tolkien or something like that right he does does a good enough job of giving you a world that is completely alien to you but also really believable yes and you can just go along with it and it doesn't doesn't sound it doesn't feel so goofy as maybe some of the other ones that are really feel like they've been put together almost post hoc yeah I would say, you know, you and I have been kind of missing this kind of thing since really since the end of Farscape, because that was also a Jim Henson production. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, is just that since puppeteering kind of has just slipped out into the background and everything now is CG, there is just something wrong with, with these CG movies. They just do not feel like they're there. And I remember, do you remember the, the story from the sets of The Hobbit where 
Ian McKellen was like losing his bananas because he wasn't speaking to anyone. He was just acting with tennis balls. No, I, I never heard about that one. Yeah, he's like, it was, it, Peter Jackson had to convince him to stay on the project because unlike in the first Lord of the Rings where they tried to use some like camera tricks and some depth perception, some practical effects to keep him in the room with the other actors, this time they just did the whole, with The Hobbit, they did it all CG. So it, it's just, Ian McKellen's not in the same room as any of the other actors as the, as the Mark, what's his name? Martin? What's the guy's name? Martin who's, Goodman. Who's Martin Goodman and, and uh, the dwarfs. And he's just acting with tennis balls. And he starts, like, freaking out. Understandably so. No, this is not acting. I'm yelling at, I'm, like, talking to tennis balls. I never heard about that, but I mean, I can I can see that. When I think about kind of the overuse of CG, I think of the the Star Wars prequels, especially the uh, episode one. Sure, yeah. Yeah, you know, like the CG Yoda in that one doesn't look very good. I thought in episode one, Yoda was just a really bad puppet. I really hope it wasn't. <laughs> I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I thought the first Yoda was a really bad puppet. Like, just a bad, badly done puppet. And then you got CGI Yoda in 2 and 3. That, uh, that might be possible, but yeah, I mean... Whatever the general, case the, may the Star be, Wars that Yoda prequel, looked terrible. The Star Wars prequels were just so overly overused on CGI. And then you go back to the older ones, and you're like, ah, look, it actually looks like these things are in the room with them. You know why? Because they are. Yeah, so, all right, speaking of, of going into nostalgia to an extent here, the Star Trek Discovery trailer came out this week. Yes. The no-kidding trailer, not the, the stupid fuck teaser that we got a couple months ago. Right, yeah. So what did you think? I'm going to be very cautious about this. It looks a little melodramatic and hammy. Although special... it is Star Trek. It is Star Trek. So, <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm, I'm torn. It's a TV series. I will say this. The only thing that jumped out at me as like, oh my God, this is bad, was how awful the Klingons looked. Yeah, you so and I are big fans of the Klingons. And the, the revamping of the Klingons, both in the film, the last three films, and in this new series, I'm not a fan of. Like, they've got a great incredible mythos right why would you like tear that down and try and start from ground up on that it doesn't I, make sense to me i really don't know is now is this universe this is pre-kirk post enterprise right it's yes it says this, in the trailer is pre-kirk so is this in the non-jj jj abrams universe or? yeah this is back in the normal star trek universe this is not in the jj abrams film franchise Truth, right so truthfully i'm tired of pre-kirk stuff i i was just I wanted it to be post-Voyager. That was just me. So that was a little bit of a letdown. And I actually had this conversation the other night with a friend of mine talking about, God, those things look terrible, about, like, Archer and stuff that's pre-Kirk, especially whole cloth characters that are pre-Kirk that we never really hear about them in the original series next gen D ds9 or voyager and then all of a sudden we're going to be we're going to get this story about these super important characters in the star trek canon that we've never heard of prior and i just something about that rubs me the wrong way whereas like in next gen when they mentioned like the cochrane medal of honor and you went back you actually got to meet cochrane or zephyr cochrane like yeah. that to me was okay creating characters prequel characters whole cloth without any kind of grounding or reference from the original series or the series that would you know came before them that are set later than them just something about it rubs me the wrong way and I, I, it's it's a it might be nitpicky but i just i'm not a fan of it that's why i like the idea what axnar was doing is they took a character that did exist and was mentioned and tried to explain his importance yeah i mean this may this may fit in better with some of the stuff that we have from the original series though in terms of the war between the federation and the klingons right because we do know that was a thing <clears throat> 
uh, up until somewhere in the original series. I can't remember which season. I don't remember either. Yeah, but I think... So I, I don't know what the, the important characters, but this may at least fit better into the universe than Enterprise did. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a fan of what they do with the Klingons. I would not want them to go post-Voyager either because it started becoming so much about the technology in Star Trek, especially mm. towards the end of Voyager, that I just stopped, like, I, I kind of lost interest. Yeah, you and I have talked for years about wanting stuff between the end of Star Trek VI and the beginning of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, that would there have is, been like, a, yes. about 70 years. That right, would, it's, it's a lot of time, and and there's, like, references to it. Right. Now, that would, so have, that would have been an, a, a, a fantastic place for them to do it. And it just, I mean, I get why they're trying to, like, go to completely untouched places. Mm-hmm because it just gives them a lot more creative freedom they don't have to worry about things like canon mm-hmm. but again we, you know, we talked about this when they've announced when they announced the series like right you need to hook the hardcore star trek fans mm-hmm. and then bring other people in right the hardcore star trek fans will keep a show going for a while i mean they got mm-hmm. enter- they kept enterprise going for four years and you really that started that that got shut down when you started losing the hardcore Star Trek fans. So right. if you get them in and then have stuff to bring other people in, I think is the way to go as opposed to just we're gonna bring in people. Right. I don't know, we'll see. So Bill Maher is a giant prolapsed anus. So what was it? May nineteenth on his television show he has a segment called New Rules and what's really strange about it is it when I wa- when you brought it up to me and I watched it, he's going through like all the Marvel television series and it's like okay yeah and then he's going through all the movie franchises and it's it's like okay so you think there's too many of them like we've talked about this okay where is he going and then he drops some sort of weird line that because we watch superhero films they imprint on us a kind of mindset that we can't fix our own problems and we need a superman or a man of action to do it for us and then he kind of drops that line of thinking to just go ahead and and make fun of trump as uh the orange sphincter and then makes fun of everyone around him for a while and that goes it goes on for a good long while. Right. So and, I have no issue with the political satire part of that because sure. it's political satire. Whether or not I agree with Bill Maher in general, I do think he's a giant prolapsed anus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's on a good day. I mean, he to me, he's just kind of the, the one of the big wastes of human life out there. But the idea that superheroes and these shows and movies and comics have somehow caused us as a society to abdicate our responsibility for our own welfare is, I mean, is, yeah. is mind-blowingly fucking stupid. I mean, it's unbelievable that that's where he would go. I mean, well, no, right. it, I so it, it's not unbelievable because Bill Maher's fucking stupid. <laughs> I mean, look, I agree. Bill Maher is a complete smug turd muffin, but I've always thought the guy fairly intelligent. And I like, have never clearly, thought intelligent. He clearly didn't put any thought into this. Like, I'm fine with him doing the orange sphincter bit. Sure, like, if he yeah, just yeah. did orange sphincter, that would have been fine. I, I, I probably would have thought it was funny. Yeah, but like he drops this line in the middle of, oh, superhero moves and print on us a mindset that we can't do it ourselves. And then and then he does orange sphincter and then comes back. And then he comes back around to it at the end. So like about like we we have to be our own superheroes or something like that. What does one have to do of all the things that have been afflicting our society with like marriage rates? And the welfare state and declining jobs and all sorts of issues with trade and immigration, like just all, all sorts of strange things, whatever you feel about them, they're all acting at the same time 
on a society, on demographics. There's all sorts of complex social and economic sciences going on here. He picks superhero movies as the problem. That's, yeah. I mean, like, really? Like, oh, really, of all the things, it's superhero and, and the fact that he came to the conclusion he did is kind right. of mind-boggling because, I mean, there are plenty of people who take them as role models and strive to be better and do better for their communities and things based on the, the morals and whatnot they have learned from superheroes and comics. Right. This is this is something I've seen with a lot of people do this. So, yes, I believe culture matters, and we talk about culture every now and again on the podcast. But people like Bill Maher and others and others like in that, in that kind of spectrum put way too much energy emphasis on pop culture yes pop culture plays a role but i've always felt that pop culture as a subset of our broader culture is a little more reflective than it is prescriptive yes it's more more descriptive than it is prescriptive or as i think pre our prescriptive cultural mores come from things like our interactions with our parents our friends our communities our our immediate surrounding of human beings who we touch and interact with on a regular basis not watching movies and reading comic books I, i'm just blown away that he would go unless he's just reaching for a joke and he's just really committing hard i'm just surprised he would go that far yeah you've read up on, on all the comic book censorship from the 50s. How is this any different from that argument? He's just swapped out a bunch of different words. He feels like a comedian version of Wortham at the moment. Correct. Yeah. I mean, Bill Maher, you know, prides himself on thinking he's politically clever. Right. And it just comes off as super smug. Yeah. Even if there are times I agree with him, I'm like, oh my God. I don't want to agree with you because you are so full of yourself right now. Right. You know, my point on that one is Wortham basically, you know, did the, a lot of the comic book stuff, one, to further his own career. Mm-hmm. And two, I mean, he did, he picked and chose things to support what he feels. That's what Bill Maher's mm-hmm. doing. He's picking and choosing what he sees and, and to support his argument. Right. And it's amazing because comic books and superhero movies, man, I guess he's mainly focusing on movie. It's interesting because he's ignoring the comic books. He's just going for the movies and television right. shows. You know this as well as anyone. Comic book superheroes really mean to their audience what their audience wants them to mean. They mean so much to so many different people in so many different ways. So for him to go and say, I was stunned, you know, again, this is so like abrasive, like watching him say this is like, are you is his next line going to be the reason why America became fascist fascist is because of the Logan movie. Like, really? Just get out of here. This is just this is the same argument we've seen over and over again. He just swapped out the words. Part of me really just wants to believe he just really wanted a segue between the list of Marvel movies and television shows and his orange sphincter bit. Like, that's really all I want to believe. Right. I can't believe in a serious adult thought that well i mean i think you're giving bill Maher a lot of credit for calling him a serious adult but that's you know right that that's <laughs> you are probably right at this <laughs> i think we've beaten on the turd enough there yeah Let's see what was the last one we had guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy lawsuit there we go i'm kind of okay with this one yeah so a man in austin texas has sued his date for the cost of a movie ticket because she continually texted throughout their viewing of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. As a result, he took her to Small Claims Court. and With a ticket price of seventeen thirty-one. It's Austin, Texas. That, that, that actually doesn't sound unreasonable. I mean, I assume that's one ticket. And, like, tickets here are fifteen ninety-nine, So seventeen thirty-one is higher than what I'm paying. And I was like, whoa, I'd sue her also. Yeah, and uh, when he filed suit in Small Claims Court, he called her texting habit 
a quote threat to civilized society and dude and i agree i'm also okay with that yeah i'm not i'm not strictly <laughs> offended by that statement nope. no neither am I. What's, what see what shocked me was this was a 35 year old guy maybe dating below his age range you know, you know he, he met this woman on bumble okay and so like maybe he like went on a first date with a 22 year old and th those girls can't get away from their phone for one second but this was a a 35 year old woman yeah like a full-on adult who still hasn't learned that when you're in a dark theater with other people you put away your light producing device so we can enjoy the movie yeah so uh director james gunn even got inv got involved a little bit and said uh, why stop it suing she deserved jail time i'm almost okay with that too yeah <laughs> right so the there needs to be some sort of threat of state sanctioned violence for these people it's just they cannot pull themselves away from their phone and i saw this a couple years ago when i went to see the first paranormal activity movie this girl just got on her her phone rang loudly in the day and she put the phone to her face and it wasn't like hey i'm in the theater call me back later and then it was like silenced it right like th th and that happens i get it you forget about it you, you uh, i'm in the theater go away right no she put the thing to her face and started talking for like a solid minute and a half. She just kept going. And I, she, she, was, she was talking in Spanish. And so finally, some guy two rolls back was like, hey, so let's see. Oh, put the phone away, sweetheart. I don't get that. I don't I don't understand this. So, so when I went and saw Transformers 2 with my folks, there were a couple of teenagers in front of us who were really lucky that my parents were in the theater with me. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm an adult. My parents happen to be visiting uh, because I was getting ready to kick them in the back of the head with my steel toes yeah, because they wouldn't put their fucking phones away this lady is 35 years old she should know better but even like the younger folks are worse i was doing a gig yesterday i was doing walk around magic and i was doing a trick for these two i would assume these girls were maybe 17 or 18 i don't know 16 17 18 and i'm doing the middle of doing a routine and her phone she gets a text alert she immediately breaks away from what we're like we're interacting as human beings she picks up the phone and starts telling me, telling her friend that someone else is coming, and they immediately start to have a conversation amongst themselves. We're talking. I'm working. I'm I'm entertaining her as part of my job. And like her phone goes off. The world has to stop for this young girl so she could tell her friend that someone texted her. I, I get it. Like we've got more computing power than we ever had in these little. What is with people and the stupid phones? You had a very Walter moment there. All I could think uh -huh. of is, am I the only one who gives a shit about the rules? Yeah, it's like human decency. Come on. Market zero. Market zero. It's just like, sweetie, pay attention. C can you just pay attention for five minutes so I can collect my check and go home? Nice. Unbelievable. It's just, and it's always girls. It's almost always girls. When I did it for the group of guys, they had their phones out too. They at least were like surreptitious about it. They would like look at what I'm doing and then quickly go back to the phone, like do something and then come back. Right? Like they were at least there was some sort of facade of them paying attention. Right. These girls were just like, oh my God, Kathy text. Did you see what Kathy texts me? Oh my God, look at Kathy. She's coming today. Yeah, I don't know what she's coming. It's like, I can't, I can't deal with people younger than me right now. I just can't. Nice. Can't do this. All right. So moving on to Alien Covenant. Oh my God. Which did well this weekend. It did reasonably well. It did well this weekend. Yeah. Reasonable well is I think a good way of putting it. I'll open up. So just saying in general, box office numbers is actually looking pretty good. I was slightly off in my prediction. Guardians of the Galaxy did not hold on to the top spot this weekend. Just barely lost it. Alien Covenant comes in at 36 million. Respectable. Yep. And Guardians of the Galaxy coming in at 35 million and change. Yep. Well, interestingly enough, the, the theater count, there's a fairly significant difference there. Really? Almost 
almost 600 theaters. In favor of Alien? Uh, no, in favor of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, kind of an interesting side note on that one. Yeah. But yeah, so Alien Covenant, obviously the latest addition to the Alien franchise. It takes place about 10 years after the events of Prometheus. And it takes place, I think, somewhere between, I think it's 10 years before Alien, but I'm not certain. Yeah, I'm not sure how how close we're getting to the first film. Yeah. it's. I think this one is in 2104, right? That's when this one takes place? Yes. Yeah, 2104. I don't remember what year Alien takes place. I don't remember either. I'm going to look that one up. Well, anyway, you continue. So, in general, I enjoyed the movie, but it was, I would just say it was all right. I think my uh-huh. my biggest thought on the film is that there were a lot of interesting things that happened that we had seen before and were done a little bit better before. There was very little new in this film from a big concept wise. Just a quick note. So, apparently, Alien is in 21. 21- 22 okay so we're about 15 years then or so yeah 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 my other thought on that what this is just overall it has i think the intent on this one or at least the 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 feeling that i got walking into it was that this was supposed to clarify some of the like origins of the aliens and things and it only served to significantly muddy the waters okay dude what did you think honestly dude i thought this movie was dumb as hell around halfway through i was kind of into it to start especially when james franco caught fire inside a sleeping pod i was like all right i you know i'll be honest i was and not because of my hate of james franco which is public knowledge at this point right i was actually kind of hoping that was gonna be a little worse because he did like yeah he started barbecuing in there but like how much worse would have been like he starts banging on it banging on like he's awake right 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 and then just starts cooking that would have fucked with me a little bit. Yeah, no, it, it definitely could have been a much more grim scene. It's just amazing. James Franco's in this movie, and his only speaking role is as a free climber in a YouTube video or something right. like that. He's in the, the prologue. Yeah, which, the, one of the two prologue videos. I will say this. I actually kind of like the idea of these prologues because if you, as we know, they film more than they need, and they edit stuff down. Yeah. And then, you know, years later, we get the director's cut or if Zack Snyder screws up a movie, which he always does, then he releases the director's cut. He's like, oh, see how this would have been better? Well, Hawkeye didn't release that. I kind of like the idea of, like, prologues. Like, okay, here's what we didn't get to use. Let's just release it before the movie on YouTube, and it's canon. So they did. They actually did something similar to this for Prometheus, too. They did, did they? They did Guy Pierce doing, like, TED Talks and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, no, it was actually really awesome. Like, some of this is definitely extra film for yes. the movie they used for, pro- for the prologue. For Prometheus, it was actually, like, stuff they shot specifically, like the TED talk and that kind of stuff. That was really like, cool. Yeah, kind of like a viral campaign. No, yeah. I think that's great. And then like the, you had the Walter commercial from a few months ago. Like here's the new model, Walter, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I just felt the movie got silly after a little while. And like, you're right. We didn't get anything new. It had all the same cliches. It had all the same kind of beats. There's two things I really liked about the movie. James Franco roasting in his his pod. <laughs> I'm, glad and, we, I'm and, glad we can agree on that. And Fassbender on Fassbender action. I thought that was that was pretty cool. I was on board with that. Yeah, I thought you might be. <laughs> I was into it. But we can go through it if you want. But I don't understand why they added the black goo to this mythos. It does nothing for this franchise. It just confuses things. It adds a plot element the movie does not need. It never needed this. And this this black goo stuff is just why do you why are there face huggers if spores can make you an alien anyway it just as far as storytelling device it's so dumb i don't get that 
in general, what you're talking about is the fact that, so in the first movie, we had the black goo. Right. And in this movie, we then have spores, and then we then have, eventually we get to basically the first iteration of the eggs and the face huggers. And mm-hmm. basically, we find out that it is David, Michael Fassbender's character from Prometheus, has been conducting experiments on the black goo and trying to create a more efficient killing machine. And he basically gets to what appears to, and what amounts to like the first of the xenomorphs as we would recognize them, or at least like kind of a first generation of them. Yeah, like flight one of the xenomorph. Yeah. Which doesn't show up until the last... 20 minutes of the movie? No, the last 40. Four, I mean, okay, fine. It felt quicker than that, but Cause, it was realistic, like... Because realistically, there's two of them. There's two it, of them. And it sh- and the first one shows up while they're still on the planet. Right, and then you have a whole sequence where they're on the Covenant where there's another one that got loose because a facehugger got a hold of a dude. Right, it, it, it reminds me a little of... A cross between Alien 3 and, Alien, and the original Alien. Just right. in a really condensed version. Right, but... Like, the movie starts off, okay, so you got this captain who is kind of a wuss. Like, we just get this feeling that he is just not fit for command. How he got the second-in-command spot is, is just like, okay, we just, there it is. And then he whines about, I'm a person of faith, and they don't think I should be in charge because I'm a weirdo. I was like, okay, I get it. And then, and then they, they go on the plot. And then that plot plot device basically gets dropped from there just disappears this doesn't not even like matters and then they go on they get hit with this neutrino burst that's why james franco catches on fire and they go to this other planet that, which honestly, we find that, out that is, whole part was kind of cool though that was a cool sequence so they go to this other planet that they pick up a distress signal from that's not their original destination come to find out it's an engineer's planet is it the engineer homeworld because i thought they I... said that in the prologue no, I think that's the implication that that is the engineer's homeworld. Right. So here's the other thing you got to explain to me. If you're the engineers and you are like the creator of most of the life on this planet, how is it like you don't have a vaccine for the goo? Like, I'm just, I just figured that they'd have like something that could like counteract the goo. I just, I, I'm just like, nope, here's the goo. You're just, you're all going to die. And you do. That was or, kind of a cool like, sequence though. It was an, it was an all right sequence, but it was, and then like, here comes the juggernaut. Apparently they don't have an IFF thing because it's like, no one finds that it's weird that this ship has been missing for however many years. And it's like, let's all go outside to greet it. Okay. And then they just die. Right. I, I just, like, it's like, okay. I just, the movie made you take a lot of leaps to go along with it. No, it and after did. a while, after after a while, I got tired of jumping those hurdles. I mean, like I said, I, I thought it was all right. I think I liked it better than Prometheus, although I haven't seen Prometheus in a long time, so right, that may just be running off my, my recollection. But yeah, I mean, they just, I get that the purpose of this is to try and explain where the xenomorphs came from, and yeah, they incorporated the space jockey from the original film, but like... In Prometheus. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. talking about, I'm talking about Prometheus covenant and, and whatever the next film is going to be because there's supposed to be three uh it's alien awakening okay it has not been greenlit but my understanding is that the script has been written and and ridley wants to make this one within the next two years i mean i'm, I'm fairly certain based on the box office numbers that prometheus lost money so if they made this one then fuck they're gonna make the next one right he wants to make alien awakening and, and a lot of people are taking it as a given a fait accompli that alien awaken we're gonna get alien awakening yeah i mean i am right i get the concept of what he's trying to do he's trying to give it give the aliens an origin it's just unnecessary though you're completely right it is totally unnecessary and that's part of the problem with this movie is you go out and you go this movie had no point like if you have the black goo and the black goo creates a neomorph like the backburster or the one of them came out of the dude's mouth because i guess he was wearing clothes which is basically like a ripoff of slender man did you catch that uh, i never like, saw slender man oh it's an internet thing it's just it's just an image and i think there's a video game at it but it's like it's basically when it stands upright it's got no face. It's long, gangly. It's basically Slender Man. And then it, like, has teeth when it opens its mouth. Yeah. 
And it's like, okay, so you have the Neomorph. And there were two Neomorphs, right? So yep. the captain shoots one of them. Where's the, the other first one? one? Yeah, well, the first one was in the field, and the, I read the plot synopsis for this movie afterwards, and it says David killed it. I thought I saw it run away. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what's going on. No, yeah, I mean, in addition to the muddying the waters of the origin of the alien, there are some plot holes, too, that being one and of them. Yeah, so if the, if the black goo makes Neomorphs, how come there aren't, like, a billion Neomorphs, like, well, all over this planet, so, right? So the black goo itself does doesn't make neomorphs the black oh, the, the black the black goo, spores yeah so the black goo because remember you also at the very beginning of prometheus you see you see one of the engineers drink it right basically what it does is it forcibly mutates dna uh-huh so like that's how the engineers seed planets with life in the beginning of prometheus the one guy drinks it yeah, and right what the scene was originally supposed to be was the guy was sacri- there was supposed to be like a bunch of engineers around it was supposed to be some like big ser- ceremony ritual where the guy drank it and sacrificed himself to see the the planet with life mm-hmm. that's what it was supposed to be obviously like it didn't come across that way that's what the black goo is for is to basically break down and, and reorganize and mutate dna and to sp- spawn new life mm-hmm. this is this just appears to be some kind of weaponized version of it ah which yeah i guess Right, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, this is all like stuff that's come out like after, right? That like that shit should have been in the film, right? No, I completely. <laughs> if agree. this is it's your just... purpose for the film <laughs> to explain where the xenomorphs come from, then you need to explain it and not just make me guess. Between the original four films, they had a reasonable explanation as to where this all came from. Basically, you understood how the the, the species progressed, and you didn't. Mm-hmm. You never assumed it was some kind of like odd, weird biological weapon, kind of whatever you just assume that this is this is a species that has been discovered somewhere out in the universe right and that's fine like it was perfectly passable right they gave you enough explanation that you could say okay i know what's going on and then just enjoy the rest of the movie i spent half of this movie going wait what the fuck was that yeah well i mean me i felt most of the time was like with the, with the character decisions it's like so the the new captain shoots the one neomorph david freaks out immediately you should probably shoot david and instead, he follows David into the den of horrors where all the giant eggs are. And he's like, go, go look at it. It's perfectly safe. Like, he literally punked the guy. Yeah. And I was like, just, like when the chest burster came out of him, I was kind of like, good. I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> I didn't like him. I didn't like anyone in this movie. Yeah. I, I will admit, I am act- I was actually perfectly fine with Danny McBride. Because whom... we got him in little doses. And he wasn't a freaking... Um... What's his face comedy? Like an Eastbound and Down, or a, or I know what you mean, like a Seth Rogen type comedy. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of comedy, which is where he just pisses me off. Like yeah. I think he's a fine actor outside of that. There's definitely people who are gonna disagree with me because. Yeah, but it, the characters just did stupid thing. Like the one girl quarantines the other chick in the med lab, which kind of made sense. But and then, then she goes, then goes in with a shotgun to try and shoot the thing. Try and shoot it and slips on the blood. Like it was almost like a Gretchen Marx joke. Yeah. And and the, my problem was my primarily is that we go back to the, talking about special effects and, and practical effects. The Neomorphs and Xenomorphs didn't look good. And the sequences where they interacted with human beings looked worse. If you wa- I don't know if you caught this. Watch it really carefully if you see it again. The female in the med bay. I forgot her character's name. She's in the med bay with the knife and she's pointing it at the xenomorph and it's a uh, karen or the neomorph yeah whatever the fuck that thing is yeah it's a neomorph because i think that's what the the alien folks online are calling it's the neomorph and like it it runs and jumps at her and it's like mauling her in the face and she keeps her arm extended with the knife like they, they didn't give her good directions like okay it's on you act like you're stabbing it or something yeah i didn't notice that i didn't think the xenomorphs looked bad but i mean the other ones i was just kind of going ah the I mean, just in general, the design was kind of whatever on me. The Xenomorph didn't look 
too bad, except, again, when he interacts with the live actors. Like, when, for instance, in David's Hovel of Horrors, it lands on that one dude. Yeah. And it's like a quick cut away, or when the Neomorph bites that chick's head off. It just... There were no really good kills in this movie, except for the shower sequence. I actually was going to say, now that you mention it, yeah, when he, when he bites her head off, I did notice that was pretty rough. Yeah, it was a little rough. And then what got me was the whole shower sequence. Like, we've been, this is the one we've been leading to, is you get the, the tail is coming up between them, and you're like, oh, here it comes, right? That was the only time in my theater, and I don't know if your theater was a little bit different, where I felt my theater get on edge, right? When that when that tail was coming up between them when they were in the shower sequence. I, I could hear the tension build in the theater, and then the tail comes back, he retracts it, and then just secondary mouth punches the guy. And it, to me, that was a bit of a letdown. I don't know how you felt about that sequence. The the mouth kill thing, that didn't bother me, but no, I, I agree that that sequence could have been better. I just, I, oh, that's the third thing I liked, is that chick, what's her name, Carly Hernandez? I like her a lot, and we got some side nipple, and I was, I was like, yes, we're, we're good now. We're, we're really good. You're terrible. Uh, I'm terrible, but I liked, I, I liked the whole. I mean, her, in her in the shower is really good. In, in um, general, I think. She, I mean, she actually, she and Danny McBride did very well together. Together. She did. I actually really like that actress, even though Blair Witch 2016 is terrible. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is like you know we were bad. we were talking about this being couples versus aliens in space. Yes. And with, like, a couple of exceptions, I know all the characters are supposed to be couples. Yeah. I didn't care or notice. It's it's like the beginning of Aliens, where there's a whole bunch of Marines that are that are poorly defined, and then a couple that you care about. Right. That That's what this was. Yeah, it, it never you never feel the emotional stakes get, like, lifted, and, and the whole idea is, like, everyone's wife or husband is dying, like, being killed, and it's like, oh my god, and they have, like, each one of them has, like, their scene where they cry, and after the fifth one, you're like, I get it, you lost your husband right let's move on Can we just make a scene happen here i just i don't know i just the whole thing just didn't do anything for me yeah i mean the, the movie was the, the movie is kind of flawed i don't know that the execution is all that bad i mean we talked about a couple spots but there were there were a number of spots i thought actually looked really really cool it was more you're starting with a flawed premise correct i was about to say like your problem is the plot yeah that, yeah no that that's exactly right yeah it had its moments where the space sequences looked really good yeah the juggernaut looked really good like a lot of the interior stuff was really cool i liked david's uh workshop of horrors I thought that was oh, pretty cool. Oh, you know what? You know what bugged me? Speaking of David's what? workshop of horrors, when we find out that no, Elizabeth didn't die in the crash, he experimented on her. Right. That felt like from Alien Resurrection when we find all the different Ripleys. Yeah. Only like really lame because it was just a sketch drawing. Like that that should have been fleshed out more because it, it was an existing character that we should have. If you have that existing character and that existing relationship with the character as, as an audience member. Well, yeah. They should have fleshed drawing. that out further. They should have fleshed it out drawing, but you do see her body because I think Walter finds it. Is that her body? I thought that was an engineer. I thought that was her. There is some confusion. You're not the only one who, who thought it was an engineer. Some people thought it was Elizabeth. To me, it looked like Elizabeth. I'd have to go back and watch it. I, I had assumed, made the assumption that it was... Like a female engineer? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not an unreasonable... But to your point... If they fleshed it out, we, we wouldn't would, have been confused. We would know. We would know this. And that that's just the whole thing is the movie was confusing and then characters were making dumb decisions and the whole plot just felt like a mess. And it was it raised more questions than answers, but it was raising the wrong questions. If you want to make it a mystery, have the questions you're raising pertain to a like a goal. Whereas in, in my questions, I was like, why the hell did they do that? That's Stupid! What? Right. Stop doing that! All right, explain something to me. So, mother was the AI from the original film. Like we, or we, we've had yep. the AI mother. She doesn't really do much in the original film, except like type a few like text lines back. Sure. 
in this one, she's talking. She can identify where the thing, where the xenomorph is. She can identify where the crew members are. What got me is you you could lock that, like you could just tell her to shut hatches and you could have just trapped it in two seconds. Like the AI should have been able to do that. Right. Like that, that was one thing that got me. It was just, now maybe you can, you can, you can wiggle your way out of it because like David was overriding mother because he's posing as Walter. Like maybe you can get away with it. It just didn't feel like, why didn't Daniels just say mother, uh, seal un, unidentified life form in its current location or something like that. Right. And it was just, that's that, that kind of stuff just gets me. It, there's horror movie stupid, right? And you know, horror movie stupid. Yep. Like it's just, Horror movie stupid so the plot can happen. And then there's, why the fuck did you do that stupid? Like, I get you have to move the plot forward, but no one would make that decision. Right, like, ever. Yeah, the original Alien. That That's horror movie stupid. Yes, yes, absolutely. This is this is not horror movie stupid. This is not horror movie stupid. This is a special kind of stupid. I wouldn't call it special, but it's a different, yeah. It's a Ridley Scott kind of stupid. <laughs> it's not, ju- it's not just, just Ridley Scott, though. <laughs> I get it. I know, he didn't, we found out he didn't write this one, so that's not fair. Yeah. Though, speaking of... Blade Runner, I had to get the Blade Runner trailer, like a new Blade Runner trailer. I did not. I had almost Blade... half an hour of fucking trailers. I had 25 minutes, which is not usual for my theater. I usually get like 20 minutes of trailers. Right, that's about uh, where I'm I at. Had, yeah, and at 20 to 25 minutes, I had 25 minutes. Usually, it's a 20 on the button. This was 25 minutes of trailers. So, so, and none of them were good. I didn't. I can't remember other than the Dunkirk trailer, which makes me cry every time I see it. I'm all about that movie. Everything else, I just don't. I don't care about them. The only one I was interested in was the new... They have a new Blade Runner trailer out. Which I did not get. What did you think of it? I, I'm still really game for it. It looks really good. I'm, I'm game for it. I got a slightly different Spider-Man trailer than I'm used to. It was had a little more Iron Man in it. And like he's like, I'm taking the suit back. He's like, I'm, not, I'm nothing without the suit. Oh, that Would one's you, been out for a while. Has it? I, I yeah. guess I just haven't seen it. It just wasn't playing. Um, and I haven't... Yeah, there was that. What was the other? Uh, yeah, like, like Kyle Kyle came with me. We were sitting, so he's sitting next to me at like, at like the 20 minute mark. And like another trailer probably. Like, Are you kidding me? Are we still going? I got a Red Band trailer that. Oh, for the Kingsman. I got a Red Band trailer for Kingsman that wasn't Red Band at all. That blew my mind. Like, it was like, I got, I got all a right, Red Band trailer. I got a Kingsman trailer. I just didn't get the Red Band. I got a Red I couldn't. I, I've seen the regular Kingsman trailer. Then we got a Red Band Kingsman trailer. It doesn't look any different from the original Kingsman trailer. I don't, other than the fact that I will probably see this one because Jeff Bridges and Channing Tatum are in it. Right. I will see that. I will see that. Those two are in something. I will see it. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't see anything. Well, uh, what did you think of the ending? The, the non-surprise surprise ending? I think they screwed it up. Yeah. How do you think they screwed it up? I'm sure we might have different opinions on this. One, I mean, one, it was just, it was super obvious. Yes. There were, that was one. The other one, when Walter comes running up at the end, mm-hmm. like comes running up to the the whatever sh- little extra ship they've got used. The using. loader, or whatever. Yeah, the whenever they're using the loader, I assumed it was it was David and not Walter. Right. But on and several, then he goes, it's fine. Like when he when he takes the guy, like how does it look? It's fine. See, that wasn't what it like. Part of what I was looking for was I was looking for some kind of scar under his chin where she jammed the nail. Oh yes, okay, yeah. And if you and they don't show it very much, like very much, but if you look, it's not there. That would have been a good reveal. Like if if Daniels is looking up from the pod and yeah. she sees the hole under his chin. Yeah, you're yep. right. Yeah, that would have been better. I mean, it still would have been eh, but yeah. I mean, I like the idea. All right, you, what do no, you no, think no, no, about no. this? No, you like Michael Fassbender. I know I like Michael Fassbender. <laughs> I love Michael Fassbender. So I'm I'm happy Michael Fass Michael Fassbender won. Like I was I kind of I liked that when the bad guy kind of wins. But what struck me about this movie in particular is it wasn't so much 
as an alien movie, right, where the premise for the alien movies have been unknown life forms that are almost superior to us can outcompete us. In right. this case, it was a killer AI, and that felt like that changed the franchise a little bit. I'm curious if you if you thought about that, if you thought of it in that way. No, I hadn't really thought of it that way because the killer AI has been part of it since the since Alien. Sure. That 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 didn't really occur to me. It, it, it just fell under the same category as oh, we've done this before. Oh, the AI sure. is doing terrible things again. Okay, check in the box. It's an alien movie. Right. Yeah, I just feel like th this was slightly, it's a slight variation. That, like, now the AI has full agency. Whereas, like, in Alien, you know, the the Ian Holm AI was kind of following its orders. Where in this one, it's like, it's David's fault. Like, this is all his idea. That is true. And it's like, AI will kill us, even if it's with aliens. But, I mean, let's let's talk about the, I want your theory so, on so the what, final so, sequence. So what you're, what you're not realizing is that, uh, what am I not? Is that now we're going to have a uh, alien Terminator crossover. That'll be freaking sweet. Turns out, be... turn, turns out David is Skynet. <laughs> I, I'm actually on board for another attempt at Alien vs. Predator because Shane Black is going to do the new Predator, and he was the guy who did Nice Guys. Did he do other the last nice one too? No, that was Robert Rodriguez. There, yeah, okay, Predators. there we go. Yep. But Shane Black, I, he, I, Shane Black is someone, you know, I can put my trust in. So maybe, I mean, and again, I feel like we're going to have to do another Alien vs. Predator at some point. Because we'll that's see. just what we do. But what did you think of, like, David having his own code to the Covenant after being marooned for 10 years and Mother recognizing him and calling him David? Like, the, and the implication is that Waylon Yutani knew about him and so, on some level knew about him. My immediate thought was, what kind of moron programmed that? <laughs> right. What, what kind of idiot would have done that? Right. I mean, is that where the, the franchise is headed? I mean, as someone who you are a huge fan of this franchise, how would you feel if, if, if the end of Alien Awakening come to find out that Waylon Utani is the company that gave us the alien? Does that kind of bring it full circle for you, or do you I'd just kind of I'd be okay with, with I'd be okay with that ending. Dumb. No, I'd be okay with that conceptually as an ending. I think the path they have taken is less than ideal for that. Mm -hmm. Because again, I mean, Waylon Utani's always kind of been, except for Alien Resurrection. Well, and Yutani's always been the the villain to an extent. Right. So sure. I, I'd be okay with him coming full circle on that one. I just think, you know, it's kind of a lopsided circle here. I really did like the idea of the alien being the full unknown and Waylon Yutani just being kind of, you know, negligent. Oh, oh I was going to say opportunistic. Uh, sure, opportunistic, but also like really sloppy. As a, as a side note, when uh, Becky and I went to our, our childbirth class, they showed, mm -hmm. they showed an ep, like a clip from Mad About You with Paul Reiser. Right. And I'm like, man, I forgot Paul Reiser was funny. Because I normally just think of him as the douchebag, uh, the douchebag yeah. from Aliens. I'm like, man, I forgot I enjoy Paul Reiser. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty great in that. Yeah. Any further thoughts? Not really. I think I came into it cautiously pessimistic and was kind of surprised to how much I didn't like it. Because about halfway through, I was just kind of like, you got to be kidding me. And I think my audience felt the same way they were really more confused than anything else i mean i there are elements that i did like and i again i like endings like that but i'll tell you like between alien covenant and life that came out about a month or so ago i'd go with life yeah and both of them are just kind of mediocre but i i think life was just a better film like that was horror stupid and not like what the hell are you doing stupid the way alien covenant was and at least life felt like here's an attempt on something different they failed and alien covenant was like we're not going to try and do anything different we're just going to confuse you yeah i and like I said before, I think Alien Covenant tries to do a lot of the same things that we've done before and just doesn't do them as well. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. I just... <sighs> Something about I wanted more from the like the Xenomorph and Neomorph. I just wanted more of them. Yeah. And I was surprised how little screen time those things got.
What have you been into this week? So I have gotten into The Handmaid's Tale. I'm not going to go along with the kind of hype that it's the dystopian story for our generation or something like that. No, it, uh, I'm about 20 chapters into the book and four episodes into the show. And if you're a fan of dystopian stories, and I like how they describe this. This is actually Margaret Atwood doesn't call her novel a science fiction novel because it really isn't. You know, when we talked about 1984, how like 1984 is right on the cusp of, like, science fiction. Yeah. Right? Atwood's novel is clearly on the other side of 1984, the non-sci-fi side of 1984. Whereas, like, like Fahrenheit 451, clearly sci-fi dystopia. 1984, in the middle, Handmaid's Tale, much more speculative fiction, which is a word I like. And actually comes from one of your favorite authors, uh, Heinlein. Okay, yeah. Speculative fiction, which I actually like. And so it is. It's a good dystopic speculative fiction story. Certain dystopian stories really reflect the concerns of the author. So you go back to 1984, the concern from Orwell was collectivist totalitarianism and the rewriting of history. Then you watch, we read Fahrenheit 51, it's destruction of reading. And in Atwood's, it's basically 1984, but just with an emphasis on women's rights and feminist issues. That's that's really what it is. And it's, I'm not saying that as a pejorative. That's just that, that's what, what it the, is. That's what the focus is. That's what the focus is. And it's and if you like dystopic stories, this is just another one in that genre to enjoy. Um, is it anything special in terms of how far I've got you know have I've picked up from? No, it's just a pretty decent story. Um, other than that, I think I showed you this last time. I got Andrew Roberts' Napoleon biography. It's called Napoleon, A Life, and it is 805 pages long. I'm currently on the Italy chapter, and I have to give this author a lot of credit. I really, I don't know if I mentioned this before, I really like this book so far. I'm making the effort to knock out an 800-page book just kind of for a psychological victory right. over a monster book. Because I have a bunch of monster books that I started and never finished. Yep. So I'm really, like, making the effort to knock out this beast and uh, I'm just going to knock her out a chapter a day. And I've noticed this. You may have noticed this with books is that as today, as we move forward, book chapters get shorter. I've noticed that they are about 20 to 30 pages now. And I, I have an older Napoleon book uh, from 64. And like those chapters are like 50 pages. I don't know if that's just an old or new thing, but I just something I, I, I yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that specifically. I don't know if it's just I've just one of those things I picked up on. How about you? Uh, I spent a lot of time cleaning the house this week because we had a uh, party yesterday for kind of like the uh, last hurrah before the kid comes. Mm -hmm. And I think at one point we actually had six toddlers over. Oh, boy. Yeah, it didn't really go so well for the dog. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, I just said, it went well and it didn't go well. It went well uh -huh. because toddlers drop a lot of crap on the floor that he can eat. Oh, okay, yeah. But he was really confused by humans that are at the same level as he is. <laughs> yeah. I could imagine. Uh, I've also, uh, I built a little A-Wing model. So Bandai started coming out with um, Star Wars models, much like the Gundams. Nice. And yeah, you spent, I think you mentioned those. Yeah, they're really nice. Actually, I finished putting the A-Wing together. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, it's probably, it's about the size of my, not quite the size of my hand, but it's, it's pretty good size. It's one, 1 to 72 scale. Oh, you want to hear something quick funny? Yeah. Just it, as it relates to Alien. So I was supposed to see, I saw it last night. I was supposed to see it Friday, okay? So we had a show on Friday. Brooke and I did a show on Friday. The plan was to leave the show because the show started at 7.30. We were done by 9. Yep. We were going to go down to the gentleman's club down the block from the Comedy Palace to see a feature dancer who was there. And then we were going to go see like the late night showing of Alien. Yep. And the feature dancer starts super late. Like it says on the bill that she's going to start at 10. She's going to start until 11. And that's when the Alien started. Yep. Right. So I've already paid for his cover because he's broke. 
So we're like, all right, do you want to go see Alien or do you want to finish and see this girl's show? And he was like, it's up to you. So I was like, all right, executive decision. Let's see her show. We'll see Alien tomorrow. I'm actually glad we got to stay and watch her show. She was at, she actually had a show. It wasn't like some like porn star doing like horrific things. It was like she did fire eating. She did belly dancing. Damn. She did like, like what are those tassel trail things? I don't know what are those called. This, this, no idea. You know what I'm talking about, the spinner things you see Olympics, Olympians use or whatever they are, the twirling. I, I know what they are. I don't know what the fuck they're called. I don't know what they're called either because I'm a man. And like she, she did that and she had a snake. She like put a snake on her and then fire eating with the snake and then did fire dancing. I was like, I'm kind of glad we stayed. This was pretty cool. Nice. And we got a picture with her. It was it was kind of neat. So that was uh, instead of we were going to see Alien, but we misfired. But we got we got to see porn star Angela Summers instead. So nice. how about that? <laughs> Uh, and then the last thing I'd, I'm started doing is I started reading a book on the formation of the Federal Reserve. The monster on Jekyll Island? Uh, no. What is it? I cannot recall the title off the top of my head. I actually got it at uh, Woodrow Wilson's uh, birth home out in Stanton, Virginia. Huh. The first the first chapter is the road to Jekyll Island, but right, because that was the fame, at least amongst libertarian circles, the famous book on the Federal Reserve is the monster on Jekyll Island. I have. I don't have that one. I have Naomi Prim's book, All the President's Bankers, that I picked up a couple months ago. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. Yeah, and this, one, like the- this one's fairly new. It's actually, it was printed in 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, I, I will say, it seems to take a fairly pro-Federal Reserve stance. Uh-huh. Uh, sure, sure, sure. So, you know, so, unfortunately, I mean, I don't have a particularly well-developed opinion on the Federal Reserve one way or another. I don't either. But but it's it's always a little frustrating when you when you can see when you start reading a history book and you see that that slant one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But it's at least so far, I mean I'm only a chapter in, I'm only about thirty pages in, that it's it's at least well written and, and a fairly decent read. How do you feel about that when it comes to history books? Because I've noticed that reading about Napoleon, I didn't realize how polarizing he really is because it's really hard to find books on him that are clearly down the middle. Because like even Andrew Roberts, who wrote an incredibly comprehensive book, he's fair, but you can see that he was a great admirer of Napoleon. And then when I read Age of Napoleon, you can feel the snark in some of the pages. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you how do you feel about is it that's just something you have to deal with when you read histo- pop history? I, I think history? I think so. As I'm, now, I'm inclined now, to agree. And when I say that, I mean I think straight up and down the middle is extremely hard to find. Yep. Way out in left field, way out in right field, also kind of hard to find. Mm-hmm. A little bit off center, which is which is I think where the majority of history books end up. Yep. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. The, the it's it's extremely difficult for the author not to have some bias one way or another. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, when when it is completely straight up the middle, it's oftentimes a very difficult read. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's almost a recitation of researched facts. And there's a lot of hemming and hawing and therefore, but if that's and because, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm OK with a little bit of, of, of leeway either way. But yeah, left field, right field, I'm, I'm kind of not so thrilled with. But I, yeah, I think it's just something you have to you have to deal with with reading history. And if you understand and accept whatever the biases are that the the author has, it, it's a lot easier. I think it's I think it's a good point because I think they have to be fair, but it's okay to have a bias. But I've noticed this because I have now three Napoleon biographies that I've gone through, right. and and a number of um, books just on the military aspect of it that you have to. I think it's important to read multiple takes on it and see where where there's kind of overlap between what the historians agree on. Sure. And then and then take what multiple what perspectives and multiple and... perspectives, but also like what did one guy leave out that the other left in yep and is that true 
like a good example is with Napoleon, there's Wars Against Napoleon, which is a book that basically makes the argument that Napoleon did his best to avoid war. And then there's a book that I think you own in that shelf back there called Napoleon's Wars. It is, in fact, it, in the bookshelf. Yes. And, and that one is a much more substantial book than the former, but it's another one that just makes the argument that Napoleon was the problem the whole time. And it's like, well, you, I really am of now the opinion that you, especially with a character like him or the Federal Reserve, because that's a super contentious point. And I agree with you. I don't have a well thought out position on it. Um, you got you to gotta just take all sides. Yeah. And, and really play them on your own. So, all right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head over to thereforegeek.com. Check out our blog post and our podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. So, once again, I'm Andrew. I'm the Duder. And you've been listening to Therefore a Geek.